said, we got to go to the wall because money's what they give you to keep your mouth shut. And I said, writers have got to know that they can fight them. And we did, and we beat them, and now I'm putting up the billboards in Hollywood. What is the billboard going to say? I quoted something, but you tell me in your words what Well, it's... I have to clear this with my attorney so that they, they're out to get They said, we're going to nail you. They said, you're going to make a misstep, and we're going to nail you. So i got to be careful what I say. But it will say words to the effect of, I caught them with their hands in my pocket, and we pinned them to the wall. Writers, take heart. Don't let them steal from you. Radio Drome. Welcome to a beautiful Thursday night, which I have completely stolen from another night of the week. I am Josh Hadley. Welcome to Radio Drome. With me, as always, is Cecil, not his real name, Crow T. Robot. Uh, I am not Josh Hadley. You plagiarized that from me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and Peter's not going to be here this week, but sitting in for him is somebody who knows a little bit about plagiarism, seeing as how he's outed two major plagiarists. That would be Mike White. If you don't like it, tough titty. Exactly. Wow. I haven't heard that in a while. Well, Mike is old. But if you guys aren't old, or if you are old, what you got to do to relax a little bit is go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free clit bumper, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now that said, we're going to talk about plagiarism, because it's relevant again. The week we're recording this, it pretty much came out that a movie Cecil and I had discussed a few weeks ago, Lockout, is a plagiarized work. We were joking about how it was an unofficial third Snake Plissken movie. Well, a French court agreed it actually is a Snake Plissken movie. Before we get into the details... Where do you fall on Lockout versus John Carpenter before we get into the, the full-on topic? Do you do you think that this is a plagiarized movie? No. I rewatched Lockout yesterday, and I really, I can see some similarities. I actually see more similarities, and I'll talk about this more later if you want, because otherwise I'll just kind of beat this dead horse. I see more similarities between other Luc Besson films and Escape from New York than I do between Lockout and Escape from New York. I'm the same. Like, I've seen Lockout a bunch of times, and I don't really think that. I think that it has similarities, and it's obviously influenced by, but there is enough differences that I feel that he really shouldn't have won the case. You know, I mean, I think that he won the case on the back of previous cases. Bassan had gotten caught plagiarizing these things before, so it was kind of like they threw the book at him for this one because of his past things, even though this wasn't really quite as cut and dry. I think that uh, it it was more of an homage than anything. And it, it sucks, too, because this is the closest that we're ever going to get from the, you know, to the third escape movie has, you know, this this shroud around it of, of oh, it was plagiarized. And it's... it's See, I, I'm not so sure I'd go with homage, considering that Bassan had two defenses in court. Well, I'll get into the second one in a minute, but the first one was, I didn't steal nothing. So, he wouldn't even admit to homage. He basically said this is completely and utterly groundless, these movies have nothing whatsoever well, in common. he was probably going on the advice of his lawyer. His lawyer probably said, you know, I mean, you don't, like, he said, look, you know, say that you had nothing to do with it, maybe they'll throw it out. And that didn't work. You know, you, you got to look at it from the legal perspective. 
But like, like you pointed out, Bassan has had this in the past. The fifth element was blatantly plagiarized from the comic book The Inkle to the point where the only reason that one did not win in court was that, according to uh, Alejandro Jadorowski, Miobis, who worked on the comic book and the fifth element, he said, betrayed them in court by refusing to back up their side. And then there's the fact that, while this one might not be plagiarism, there's no way that as much as I love Leon the Professional, it's not of a very European remake of 1980s Gloria. They're the same basic story, the same structure, the same character dynamics. Luke Besson is the European Quentin Tarantino. He steals liberally and then claims, I steal nothing! I am original! There are so many movies that are borrowed here, you know, bits and pieces here and there, and then borrowed liberally, but then changed something, you know, uh, like you said, with uh, Gloria, Leon was the gender swap Gloria. It still ends up being an incredible piece of filmmaking. So it's all in the execution, you know, how how much of it, you know, do they have the exact same scenes, or do they just kind of have the exact same concept? Which is what I want to look at tonight. Where do you think the line falls between rip-off, and plagiarism. Like like in Lockout, you said you didn't believe it was plagiarism. Well, look at some of the other cases later of actual plagiarized works where they've been found to be plagiarized. Where is that line, or is it an ever-moving line? Gosh, it's, it's really, to me, much more of a case-by-case type of basis, and there's also throwing into the mix is homage. You know, you can make an homage to something, make a reference to something, and it doesn't have to necessarily be plagiarism or rip-off. You know, you can have a scene like in Tango and Cash where, he, you know, it shoots at the, the truck that's coming towards him and it's right out of one of the uh, police story movies, the first one with Jackie Chan. It's like, okay, if you've seen one, then you've seen the other. The whole movie doesn't rest upon that one particular scene. So I can see that as being much more of an homage than a ripoff. So uh, for me, it's really looking at each of these individually. I don't think that I can make a, a general statement like that. See, I think I can make the general statement is, even though it's not a hard and fast one, is it's how much is used. Like, for instance, the obvious go-to of Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs is a far better film than City on Fire, but I think it uses so much of City on Fire that it stops being homage and becomes plagiarism. Whereas if you use certain elements bit by bit, that's not plagiarism, but when you basically remake another movie or remake significant portions of it, it is. I will make the Blaken statement is it's the amount, not the actual content. If you're using certain scenes or uh, if you you know do an homage here and there or something, like that's one thing, it's fine. If you're influenced by something and it kind of comes out in the movie, that's okay. But when you're taking the entire like narrative structure in some cases, doing like almost shot for shot. You're doing stuff where following the plot to the letter with the exception of like minor changes here and there, that's where it stops being a gray area and gets really ugly and uh, you're, you're just ripping the product off at that point. Well, let's go to what happened in the Luke Besson case here. Now, originally, like I said, one of his arguments was I didn't steal anything. And he was originally only fined $95,000 of a judgment. Well, he appealed that, claiming, I didn't steal anything. Well, then the judge came back, the the, the appellate judge, and found that the plagiarism was actually so extensive in the lockout case 
that he ended up having to pay half a million dollars to John Carpenter's estate. And then they changed their tactic in the appeals process. And this is the one that I think is much more indicative of how Hollywood thinks. Bassan's lawyer argued that John Carpenter can't sue them for plagiarism because Escape from New York heavily borrowed from Rio Bravo, so therefore it itself was a plagiarized work, and you can't plagiarize a plagiarized work. Their argument essentially was, oh yeah, well you did it too. Is that a better argument? How did it steal from Rio Bravo? I mean, I can see Assault on Precinct 13 stealing from Rio Bravo, but not not the Escape movies. According to Bassan's lawyer, they argued that Escape from New York borrowed heavily from George Miller's Mad Max and 1959's Howard Hawks' Western Rio Bravo. Huh. I just don't see that at all. I'm just telling you that their argument was, oh yeah, you did it too. Is that really the way you should defend yourself against plagiarism? Is, yeah, I might have plagiarized, but so did you. No, I, I think it goes back to something that your mom probably told you, is that two wrongs don't make a right. Is that philosophy so indicative that's just how Hollywood works? Because, for instance, let's go to 1980, although this case goes back to 1977. Do either of you remember the very short-lived Ernest Borgnine TV series Future Cop on ABC? No. My name is Joe Cleaver. For 14 years, I've been partnered with the man on my left here, Bill Bundy. We never had a secret from each other until now. This good-looking kid on my right, a rookie cop called Haven, he's the secret. He looks human, talks and acts human, but he's not. He's an android, a robot, the perfect cop, the cop of the future, a future cop. Ta-da! Uh, there is a 61% probability, therefore, the location is Santa Monica Municipal. How could he know all of that? Man, that's the fastest white boy I've ever seen. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It was basically Ernest Borgnine was set in 1977 is partnered with a robot cop who's of course played by you know just a guy so it's an android cop and it's their not adventures cop? it's not Robert cop no and that was Robert cop 2 by the way but what happened is the future cop lawsuit Harlan Ellison and <laughs> Harlan Ellison's always suing people it's... except except in this case he won the largest plagiarism judgment of all time in oh, 1980 God. I came up with all the ideas, Star Wars and all that. That's all mine. Well, what happened in this case was he and Ben Bova wrote a script for a guy named Terry Keegan at CBS called Brillo. Get it? Robot cop, metal fuzz, real, real witty. Terry Keegan passed on it. A year later, Terry Keegan himself sold their script, minus their names, Future Cop was written by Terry Keegan to ABC. He literally took their script, put his name on it, changed a few minor elements, and sold it to another network. And they won, at the time, $337,000, which in 1980 money is a lot more than you think, which at the time was the largest plagiarism lawsuit ever. And one of Terry Keegan's defenses in court was that this was a selective lawsuit since, and I quote, Everyone in Hollywood steals. Why am I being singled out? That is kind of the Tarantino defense. I still from It kind of is, isn't it? Yes. Leaving the fact that, you know, Harlan Ellison is super litigious, is that just indicative of how Hollywood works? Everybody steals, so why am I being sued? 
I think that it's, uh, I don't want to say entitlement, but it's just like, I think that they're not understanding uh, that, yeah, there, there is some borrowing going on back and forth. And yeah, there is some stealing and whatnot going back, you know, but it, it is kind of a risk you take, you know, I mean, if you're, you're going to do that, I, I think that too many of them are going with the, what's the old saying? Those who are great steal or whatever. Oh, I hate that quote. You know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I, whatever the, you guys know what the point I'm saying, but good, whatever the. Good artists create great artists steal. I get that shit all the time when it comes to this whole Tarantino thing. And, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people don't understand that it's like there, there is a larger element of creation that's going on. You can't just take something wholesale and expect somebody to not come after you about it, especially if it's uh, a larger or well-known property or something. Uh, Harlan Ellison and Ben Bova are kind of big names. It was really stupid to try and steal from them. That's what I'm saying. And, and Harlan Ellison, I love the guy, but he's uh, uh, he's crazy. Like, I yes. mean, of, cor- of course he's going to go after you. Like, I was- And this is still four years before Terminator, the Terminator issue, too. Like, this is why I was, like, a little uh, worried about doing the, the Boy and His Dog video, because I love the movie, and I love Ellison, but I was just like, don't, don't come at me. Like, like, dude, I'm, 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 I'm giving you so much praise here. I liked the movie, damn it! You know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, you know, so I don't know, uh... And, but I mean, it wouldn't even be that. It would be like, well, but you didn't pay me for, for doing your video. And I'm like, well, but it doesn't work like that. I mean, that's, that's different. Hopefully it's more the exception to the rule, but I imagine there's a lot of that going on. I mean, I've heard of, even when we did an episode on Get Carter, when George Armitage got a copy of the script to make, uh, Hitman, it was basically just the Get Carter script with the first page missing. And they gave it to him and he was like, oh, okay, and had no idea that it was a ripoff of another movie until after it came out. And it was like, yeah, there was this other film. And so he he unwittingly made a ripoff movie and, and thought it was just an original property. So it's amazing how it turned out and how it was different. And that's where I think kind of this whole stamp of artistry comes into it. But that probably happens more often than we would like to know. But then when I read about other lawsuits where it's like, it always seems to happen right around the time a movie is about to come out on Blu-ray or DVD when somebody will suddenly say, oh, well, you stole my movie idea and here's this lawsuit. It almost seems more like a pre-calculated publicity thing, like a weird, like, negative publicity thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's just like, oh, hey, uh, you, you stole my idea of uh, Saving Private Ryan or whatever, and now we're going to get the name of the movie out into the press a little bit more even. Possibly, but then sometimes I want to go back to something that you said just a minute ago. Maybe the director doesn't even isn't even aware of the plagiarism. For instance, like the After Hours, Martin Scorsese's 1985 film. The first 30 minutes of that are basically word for word plagiarized from a 1982 NPR monologue by author Joe Frank. They took the the screenwriter took his monologue, used it almost word for word, and then built a mother another story for the next second hour. Scorsese, all he saw was an original script. He'd never heard of Joe Frank before that. So of course, who gets dragged through the mud? Scorsese, not the screenwriter who stole. Sometimes it's difficult to find who's to blame. But then other times, look at like the look who's talking lawsuit for by Amy Heckerling. She's the one to blame for that. Amy Heckerling 
produced the, the 1989 John Travolta Bruce Willis movie. Turned out that a year earlier, two unknown screenwriters named Rita Stern and Jeanne Myers wrote a treatment for her called Special Delivery. That was Look Who's Talking, even to the point of suggesting Bruce Willis as the voice of the baby. Huh. Not only were Stern and Myers not compensated for the movie, they're not credited anywhere. And they sued and Heckerling settled out of court. Coming to America was completely stolen by Art, stolen from Art Buchwald when he tried to sell that movie to Paramount. And then the executive he tried to sell it to ended up going to Warner Brothers and made the movie without his name anywhere on it. He sued. It settled out of court. Coming to America was originally written as a drama. And he tried to sell the drama and they didn't want that. And then they stole it and made the exact same movie, but made it as a comedy. Yeah. And they can, and they not only did they not pay him, they didn't credit him. But that's what I'm saying. They, they, I'm not, like, I'm not defending it, but I'm saying they ripped it off wholesale, but they changed. I, I think that in their mind, maybe they were thinking if they changed it from being a drama to a comedy, they would get away with it because it was a different genre. But, oh, no, they didn't. But the thing is, they still, ended up making more than enough to compensate for what they stole. So what they paid, I think, if memory serves, because I remember this case, it was a big deal. The movie made X amount of gajillions of dollars, and they paid him uh, a settlement of like half a million dollars. So they ended up still winning. Well, I mean, it even comes down to a movie as iconic as Rocky, written by Stallone. Well, it was actually loosely based off the real-life boxer Chuck Wepner. Wepner was never contacted, he never sold his life story, and they even used specific elements from Wepner's life in Rocky. When Wepner went to Stallone, Stallone basically paid him an undisclosed amount and said, go away forever. And I think I think that's the way they think this works. If we pay you a bunch of money, you go away and I didn't steal. And I think that's wrong. That's not to say all plagiarism, every plagiarism accusation is true. Like the Nightcrawler accusation. That guy that made a movie that's vaguely similar to Nightcrawler from a few years ago. I saw that movie and I saw Nightcrawler and I'm like, there are vague similarities, but I would really be surprised if anyone had seen your movie, dude. So, I mean, not every instance of plagiarism is such. And nobody even teleports in that movie. Wrong Nightcrawler. Oh. Bam. Since you're sort of an expert on plagiarism, and I'm using the, the word expert in quotes here, do you think plagiarism is more or less epidemic in Hollywood than the public might think it is? Because, like, whenever we see a movie like like Alien, everyone goes, oh, that's a mixture of It Came, It the Terror from Beyond Space and Planet of the Vampires, when in reality those two movies were ripoffs of Voyage of the Space Beagle or things like that. Do you think that it is so epidemic that it kind of gets lost in the minutia at this point? Uh, yeah, I would not be surprised. And it just feels like the attitude these days is that what's the big deal? So, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a any sort of a, a real penalty that goes with it. And, and it just seems so like, oh, well, everybody else is doing it. We might as well, too. Right now, with uh, with the Internet, you have people that will immediately jump on something and point out, uh, you know, this is a ripoff of this or this is a ripoff of that. And a lot of times, people don't seem to realize time frames, too. Like, for example, the movie Critters came out. There were people that were saying that it was just, uh, you know, the B-movie knockoff of Gremlins, when in actuality, Critters was in production before 
Gremlins. It just so happened that it wasn't released until afterwards. So you have people that are saying that that's a ripoff of it. And I mean, that's not plagiarism, but still, it's that mindset of everybody's always looking for that. They want to be the one that has the gotcha. You know, I, pr- I was the one that proved that this stole from that. And, uh, you know, and then, and then it's, I, you know, I don't know, it's some sort of internet points and then they can go off and the, you know, the, the company who worked on that can go and possibly sue them over it. Mike. You're the man who, for all intents and purposes, exposed Quentin Tarantino's theft of Reservoir Dogs, and then years later, Leanne Spiderbaby's theft of, well, her entire body of work. Do you got, do you have people coming to you all the time going like, oh, this movie's a ripoff of this? Like, for example, just before this show, I posted the trailer to the 2015 movie Vice, the Bruce Willis movie. And I'm like, this is basically Westworld meets AI. I didn't specifically send that to you. But it's funny how you immediately latched onto it. Are you sort of the go-to for finding plagiarism guy? Fortunately, no. I mean, there are still people that will write to me and say, like, oh, well, have you seen this, this, and this? And people are still like, you know, where's the video for the Hateful Eight and the uh, episode of the Rebel TV show that it rips off? And it's just like, well, if nobody's going to do it, maybe I'll eventually do it. But I really think that people have more skills when it comes to editing video than I do. And I think they could do a much better job than I could. But I am surprised that nobody, as far as I know, has done that comparison video to show the two things side by side. Cecil, I'm looking at you. Yeah, so people will come to me and and I appreciate that people will call these things out, but most of the time, and really, I mean, that whole idea of this meets that, I guess that kind of goes beyond plagiarism because you are almost making more of your your movie pitch at that point. So, and I think getting back to uh, Lockout, it's kind of like this meets that rather than this, 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 you know, it doesn't seem like it's just stealing from one thing. It's kind of like that movie, uh, uh, Doomsday, where as I'm watching the movie Doomsday, I'm just like, wow, this is, this is Mad Max. Oh, now it's this movie. Now it's that movie. You know, and then all of a sudden they're in a fucking castle and it's like, oh, okay, now I'm in another movie. But it just felt like it was like a, a greatest hits and it just more than anything, it felt like it was just derivative of all these other films. So, yes, it rips off a ton of stuff, but it's just all of these things just mashed together. And unfortunately, I think that's where we're at a lot with our culture as people just keep saying, oh, it's a mashup. It's a mashup, you know, and it's like, I well, hate the term remix culture. Oh, God, you and me both, because it's just like, yeah, no, it's kind of more of a, a sampling, more of a, a ripoff type culture, you know, but people have made their whole careers off of that. You know, I was just talking about uh, Vertigo for this week's episode of the projection booth and it's like have you seen body double it's a it's a mashup quote-unquote of vertigo meets rear window and it's just like brian de palma made so much of his career out of taking hitchcock elements and just remixing them so you know he does it in a very stylish way but almost funny to go through and watch his films and be like oh that's from this movie oh that's from this other one most of the time he's pulling from the hitchcock canon so that feels more rip-offy than homage then do you think that a, a rip-off going back to what i said about how it's how much you use if you do take like like james cameron's de- defense in the terminator case was was essentially yes he might have borrowed from these outer limits episodes and 
and I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, but he remixed them in such a way that it became something unique. And you might go, okay, that's a one-off. But then at the, at the point we're recording this, he's still being sued by three separate people over Avatar. He didn't steal all of Avatar. He took one element from this one guy's rejected screenplay, one element from another, one element from another, and I mean exact elements, put them together and said, now it's something new, it's no longer plagiarism. Isn't that just plagiarism by proxy? Did he rip off the term unobtainium? No, unobtainium is actually uh, a term that's been used in sci-fi movies and literature for years. It's a stupid term, but that one wasn't his. It's terrible. Whoever whoever came up with that, they need to be sued. Is that still plagiarism by proxy or not? When you when you like with with Avatar, he took a bit from this, a bit from this, a bit from this, a bit from this, remixed it all, and says now it's something unique. Not really, isn't it? I wouldn't think so. Again, it's like you can't. Actually, somebody just left a, a, a comment on one of my YouTube videos the other day. Uh, just like, oh, well, what about rap? You know, people sample stuff all the time. It's like, well, people sample stuff all the time, but now they have to pay for those samples. You know, like there's that whole thing about, you know, Paul's Boutique could never be made today because it costs like however many billions of dollars in all of the sampling that they use. But now you have to pay. So I don't know how people can get away with kind of lifting ideas or lifting passages whole cloth without having to pay or at least give proper credit. That's the thing that always gets me. You know, and that's the thing that always pissed me off about Quentin Tarantino was just that he was saying like, oh, well, all of these other movies influenced me and then never came back to City on Fire. That was like the one movie that would come off of his lips. You know, it was just like, oh. I, yeah. I remember when, when MTV News reported that he claimed he'd never even seen the oh, film God. and it sounds interesting. That whole MTV News report, that got more things wrong than right. And that just was kind of like pointing out how horrible journalism is. They They got nothing correct in that. I'm surprised Kurt Loder even got his own name right. Three different ideas and kind of combine them and make it into something different. You can take three different ideas and depending on how plays out, it can uh, create something different. So it's kind of, I mean, in that sense, I kind of look at it as, uh, you know, playing a song. You know, if you have three chords in one progression, it's one song. But if you take those chords and put them in a different way, you have something different. So it really depends on how much and how similar it is to where it came from that really matters on whether or not it's plagiarism or if it's creative licensing. And I do want to say the whole idea of taking different elements and putting them together in different ways, that to me is where the whole idea of the great art kind of comes from, that whole idea of, you know, the good artists creating great artists steal. To me, the idea of taking disparate elements or taking something and giving it a new spin to it, that's where I think that there is some greatness to be found. But there has to be that that idea that you can say, I have my inspiration from these different pieces. And if you just try to bury that stuff, that's when things get suspicious to me. So if you go out there and you say, oh, yeah, well, you know, th this movie was heavily influenced by whatever, and I or I like the idea of this, and that's how I kind of spun it into this new thing, that is fantastic. You know, I mean, going back to the Tarantino thing, and I'm sorry to, uh, again, beat a dead horse, wow, you took this kind of 
lousy Ringo Lamb film and made it into something so completely different, I would have been impressed had that come across rather than, you know, oh, well, look at this thing and look at this shiny object over here and look at everything except for the thing that I took the most from. It's just, that's where it got suspicious. But yeah, if you take one little idea and you take and you spin it into something else, it's like, wow, okay, that, that's fantastic. I, I'm impressed if you get that kind of stuff. And sometimes it comes down to just, you need to give credit. I mean, like Ellison, when it comes to Terminator, I don't know if he really would have done this, but he has publicly said, if James Cameron had come to him and said, hey, Harlan, I've got a different take I want to spin on some of your stories, Ellison said publicly that he would have told Cameron, as long as I get a screen credit for this, I'll let you do it. Who knows whether he would have done that, but he said he was the most pissed. Cameron tried to keep his name off the credits, even after they sued and won the right to have Ellison's name on the credits. Cameron, I don't know if this was self-delusion or not, said that f***er's name will not be on my movie. Whether that was Cameron not realizing, dude, you stole the movie from him. You stole his ideas, and he beat you in court, although technically they settled out of court because they were about to be beaten. Is that self-delusion on Cameron's part that he refuses to admit that Ellison did play a part in this, or is that just legal standing? Cameron is a great director, but he is a notoriously egotistical guy. So I think that that's really where that is factoring in. I think it's just uh, his ego won't... Uh, Do you think he maybe he really believed he didn't steal from Allison? You know what? It's very possible. Yeah, I mean, that to me sounds more like legal posturing, because once you take... That defense, you have to stick with it, kind of going back to the Bassan case, you know, it, 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 him saying, no, no, it had nothing to do with it. And then, you know, for the, the for the other defense, well, they did it worse kind of thing. But yeah, that just sounds to me anyway, like uh, the legal position that you're going to have to take. Well, what about something like HowardCantor.com, where Shia LaBeouf basically adapted a comic book by Daniel Close and then not only did Daniel Close not know a damn thing about this until that he saw the movie, he was never contacted, never credited, and never paid. And then Shia LaBeouf said he was such a fan of Close, he forgot to get the legal rights. Uh. And and then he apologized for plagiarizing the movie, HowardCantor.com, in the most Shia LaBeouf way possible, by plagiarizing his apology from a 2010 Yahoo Answers plagiarism apology by another director. Uh. He stole... His plagiarism, he plagiarized his plagiarism apology. That, to me, feels more like him trying to be art, like an artist, you know. <laughs> well, I, I did this because, you know, like he wanted to do something wacky. Because uh, shortly after that was when he started to lose his mind. Where he cracked. Where, he, you know, wearing a bag on his head and watching a movie for five days and, and all that stuff. So I think that was kind of his... In his brain, he was doing something like Andy Kaufman. He's no Andy Kaufman. No, I didn't say that he was, but I'm saying in his brain, that's what he was doing. The IMDb of Disturbia, by the way, does not credit um, either the screenwriter for Rear Window or Cornell Woolrich, who came up with the original short story of Rear Window. I just wanted to put that out there. I mean, to me, in a lot of cases, it is about credit. Just You credit where you got it from. I don't think that is so hard to do. Look at look at Leon versus Kurosawa. I think if Kurosawa had been credited as an inspiration, a lawsuit probably wouldn't have come about. Well, aren't they both kind of playing off of the Dashiell Hammett story? Uh, what was it? Red 
not Red Dawn, Red Harvest. I haven't seen either of those movies in so many years, I don't remember. Yeah, and I think that's where Last Man Standing kind of took more of its inspiration was through... Oh, yeah, Last Man Standing was an American remake of that, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I think all of those are coming from the Dashiell Hammett short story, so it's just, uh, you know, everybody kind of eating the... uh, somebody else's lunch it feels like i think a lot of times if uh somebody you know was credited then that would take care of a lot of problems but i think it's it's going with the the old mindset of it's better to um apologize than ask permission because a lot of times if they were that is such a bullshit i mean i know what i know what saying you're talking about that's a bullshit saying but what i'm saying is that a lot of times they'll do it they'll get caught and then they're like oh sorry and but if they had asked permission then they might not have been allowed to make it so i think that's kind of the mindset with that all right well then where is the line in the modern age between like the asylum stuff some of the asylum stuff is really really close to the blockbuster that they're that they're mock busting to the point where I'm actually surprised in some cases that lawsuits aren't filed. Really, where does that line fall? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that when we were talking about this earlier. It's just that there's the, uh, I mean, for every movie that comes out, Asylum has their version. And I'm not sure how exactly they're getting away with it. I guess they just have a team of really good lawyers and they vet this stuff to say, no, 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 snakes on a train is different enough from snakes on a plane. And I think more than anything, it's just take a shitty script and kind of make the title sound similar more than anything anything you know i and there are themes and stuff that are just going to kind of play out through things like last man on earth kind of a thing so i am omega you know being coming out right when uh, i am legend comes out i don't know it, it's it kind of reminds me of when i was working at blockbuster the little mermaid would come out to theaters and then we're getting all of these like really cheesy animated versions of the little mermaid the hallmark home video yes ones. yes exactly and it's just like the it's basically product to prey on people because you know grandma comes up and she thinks that she's going to be getting her granddaughter the little mermaid the disney one and boy oh boy you know i tried to save a lot of people from disappointment (laughs) when it came to that stuff but yeah people just they want the product and i guess i wouldn't be surprised if people are actually kind of happy when they have the ripoff product because they think that they're getting something that you know is is close enough well, the thing is, a lot of them, they get away with it simply because the movies are different enough. So, for example, recently there was uh, Suicide Squad came out, and their knockoff, Sinister Squad, came out, and they had a bunch of uh, criminals. It was a similar story, but it was done different enough. I think that's where the, the line is. Uh, like, is Is this that old adage, change enough to... Change just enough to not get sued. Pretty much. But then there are some of them where really they're, uh, they have the concept of it and it's a completely different movie. Like Transformers and Transmorphers. It's like they're totally different movies. Transmorphers is more of a Terminator ripoff than anything. Exactly. Transmorphers is more, you know, post-apocalyptic. The robots have already won and now the people that are left are fighting back as opposed to, you know, what uh, Transformers was. And uh, there are a few that are like that. I think the only, what was the one that they actually, was it American Warships? 
they had to change the name on because it was uh, n- uh it, w- it was what not just that one but uh th- that that Lord of the Rings one that actually like uh Legend of the Hobbits or something like that. Oh, because they Hobbit, had to change the title of that one too. Right, because they messed up because Hobbit is actually copywritten. But I mean, the thing is, they're mostly quality set aside. They're mostly different enough. Like if you were to watch. Suicide Squad and then watch Sinister Squad, you would get two different experiences. They're, they're stealing and, you know, the, the basic concept of a lot of these, but then doing so, you know, completely different stuff. Making terrible movies, mind you, but different enough so that it's like, eh, it's not worth it. And honestly, in their case, it's almost like I would think it would be more trouble than it would be worth to sue them. Because they're doing these on on such a shoestring budget, and they're trying to shut them down, and they're not. I mean, how much of an impact are they really doing on? One know? good lawsuit could wipe the asylum out, and you know how much I hate them, so I'd be I'd be for that. But the thing is, they are smart about it. They're at the point now where this is their business model, so they're not going to do anything that's so close to the source material that they're going to get sued. They're going to do uh, similar, but then different enough that they're they're going to be able to get away with it. And honestly, I'm fine with that. Let them, if, if that's what they want to do and people want to see that, sure, more power to you. It's not... Like, it's not blatantly ripping something off. It is, it is different enough. They are still doing things different enough that, uh, it's not just watching the same thing over again. Well, what about when, when we gotta talk about Italian exploitation here, especially from the late 70s and early 80s. What about when a movie steals from the source material, not the movie? In the case of like Great White, 1980s Great White. And, Enzo G. Castellini's Great White, which was sued for being a ripoff of Jaws. But if you've actually seen the movie, it's more of a ripoff of the novel Jaws rather than the movie Jaws, which changed so much from the novel. So even though Universal successfully sued and blocked Great White's release in the United States, they weren't actually ripping off Universal's movie. They were ripping off the book Universal's movie was based on. Is that an extra degree... Or is that just still straight-up plagiarism? I think it's just still straight-up plagiarism. The Italian stuff is hilarious to me, you know, to, to like looking at the Eurocrime documentary and, and Malloy would take, you know, lines from the, the Dirty Harry films and, and transpose them right against, like, Fred Williamson saying the exact same speech. I mean, that's it's not the same thing that you're talking about as far as going back to the original source novel, but it's just that that was happening all the time when it came to the Euro crime stuff, when it was coming to the, the, the Jollies and to the horror films and stuff. I mean, they were kind of the asylum of the day when it was coming to like, okay, here's a hot trend. We're going to make a hundred movies that try to cash in on this trend right now. So it was, it was more funny than anything. And then sometimes every once in a while, almost by accident, a really great film would come out of the whole thing and enough elements and you remix them all. And maybe you get something fantastic that comes out of it so but as far as the going back to the original source material and saying we're going to adapt this rather than adapt uh you know the the movie or rip off the movie i mean it's just basically like you're trying to get around uh the the rules you're, you're just trying to play a little too slick when it comes to that so i don't mind that they got their their hands slapped it's it's a tough thing because I have a love for uh, a lot of rip-off exploitation, and, like, it's just 
they they are taking um they're taking these ideas and ripping them off wholesale and they're doing them for these really low budget movies and oh it's it is it's plagiarism but it's like oh but they're but it's it i don't know it that's where it ends up kind of getting a little touchy for me because some of them are just hilarious and they're entertaining because they're so poorly ripped off from something else and I I don't know. I, that's that's where I get into a very gray area. This is more of an Italian exploitation thing, but the Japanese do this too. What about the unofficial sequels? That's not technically plagiarism, but when you know they're making Terminator Two and Jaws Five and Evil Dead Four and things like that, that's still kind of plagiaristic, isn't it? Or or is that just opportunistic? Well, with some of those things, I mean, they're sequels in name only, you know, but definitely by naming your film that you are... Hoping. Jaws 5, Cruel Jaws yes. is pretty fucking blatant. Well, and then a lot of that stuff, too, though, is you will take a film that's been made in a country, buy up the rights, show it in the U.S., change the title to be something to cash in on that. So that's where some of that stuff comes from. I don't necessarily see the filmmakers themselves being like, oh, it's more of like that thing I was talking about earlier where you see a trend and you want to kind of, you know, cash in on it, or they might just be making something completely different and somebody will grab a movie and be like, oh, well, we'll rename this as, uh, I don't know, House 3 because there's a house in it and people will think that that's part of the series and it's like, wait a second, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Where'd this come from? So I tend to blame more of the distributors on something like that than, than, than the actual filmmakers themselves. But yeah, that's just, it's just wrong. You know, it's just bait and switch marketing. It's a, it's that whole little mermaid thing again. Uh, a lot of times, it's like Mike said. It comes down to the distributor. The distributor has a product and they want to sell it in this market. This market doesn't have a Terminator Two yet. They well, this movie was really popular. If we can get this out and make people think it's this, then lo and behold, it will be. So, except in the case of of Bruno Mattei's Terminator Two, it's an aliens ripoff. Yeah, it ended up being an it. Well, that was the thing. They were like, well, if we say and. Terminator 2, but then people go see it, and it, yeah, it's really aliens on Earth, and yeah. And the original title, Shocking Dark, is a much better title, too. Yeah, but Shocking Dark might not, would not have gotten the attention that Terminator 2 did. Well, I did really want to bring up this whole idea of Luke Besson and the whole idea of Lockout. The thing that gets me when it comes to Lockout considered a ripoff of John Carpenter, and especially of, of Escape from New York, is that it seems like a little, like, too little too late, because really, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, District 13, a.k.a. Ben Liu 13. I mean, it's even from the title with the 13 in there, like, it starts off very much as a, a, a ripoff of Assault on Precinct 13. There's this cop shop that is closing down and it's in the 13th district and there's a, a guy in, in the jail cell who all these other guys are wanting to get. Eventually they get him and it doesn't turn out to be the, the third act of the movie. It's basically the end of the first act. And then after that it basically becomes a ripoff of Escape from L.A. where there's a, a girl in there, there's a neutron bomb, all this kind of stuff is happening. She's not the president's daughter kind of like with uh, Escape from L.A. and eventually Lock out but i mean it's it's very much more of a as i'm watching this i'm just like well this is this is escape from new york with parkour it's funny to me that it took a few more movies before it, it, like i said it seems like they probably should have sued them for district 13 and then just let it slide and then when lockout came out it was like that that's a bridge too far 
how dare you, you know? <laughs> but I, I, I actually think what happened in the lockout case was go into a little bit of escape from history. After John Carpenter made Escape from L.A., he was supposed to make Escape from Earth, which was about Snake Plissken being dropped onto a space station. I think that's where they were able to say, okay, there's way too many similarities here. Not only did you take some of the stylistic and story points, but you basically made the unmade third movie. And I think that's where Luke Besson screwed up, is he said, I'm going to make Escape from Earth, but it's just not going to be Snake Plissken. I think if it had not been set on a space station, they probably would have won the lawsuit. Bassan would have won. I think the fact that he basically made what Carpenter has publicly stated was his idea for a third Snake Plissken movie is what got Bassan hit the hardest. What's funny, because David Toohey wrote a script for Alien 3 that didn't get filmed. For him, I mean, it was a space station, and there were all these prisoners in, on there, and I was just like, oh, okay, well, this that seemed more similar to Lockout Carpenter was doing. But yeah, I can see your point as far as if that was his story pitch that Bassan ripped off. I mean, I even saw when it came to the beginning of Lockout, and there's the train, I was like, well, this is kind of the opening of Escape from New York that we didn't really get to see in theaters, that we saw as part of the extras, you know, that, that opening that was rejected. So I can kind of see that and then you saying that it was the story idea okay but then even then it's like well it was a story idea you didn't necessarily copyright the idea there wasn't a screenplay or maybe there was but how much of that was ripped off other than the idea of it I don't know. I think in a way it's it kind of sucks because it's like he got sued for something that doesn't exist. It was like here was the movie, you know, here was this movie he had you know, Carpenter had an idea and it didn't get made and then um and I love Carpenter, but it was like Bassan came along and, you know, they made this movie and whether or not it intentionally took ideas from it is, well, I mean, the courts have decided that uh, he did. It just stinks that it's like we ended up more or less getting the film that Carpenter couldn't make. I, it stinks because I ended up thinking that it is a good movie and I do think that it's different enough that he really shouldn't have gotten, you know, he shouldn't have lost the lawsuit over it, but he did and it stinks i don't know i think it's I... sometimes though sometimes though ideas are enough way back on this show years ago i came up with the idea and i put it out there publicly i talked about i want a vampire shark where you know the shark bites people and it's a vampire and it's out for blood and it can only come out during the daytime and they have to bless the ocean with holy water and that and then about three or four years later shark exorcist comes out with them blessing the water and everything, and I'm going, thinking to myself, no, they couldn't have listened to that radio drum. And did I accidentally inspire Shark Exorcist, or is that just two people coming up with very similar ideas, kind of, not simultaneously, but independent of one another? Babylon 5, Deep Space Nine. For years, Joe Michael Straczynski claimed Deep Space Nine because he had pitched what was essentially Babylon 5 to Paramount. He claimed Deep Space Nine was a ripoff. It wasn't until years later where they were able to prove through paperwork and pre-production and all that, that they were already making Deep Space Nine, and that's why they passed on Babylon 5, because they were already making it, and it was just a coincidence. Even Straczynski admits today, it was a coincidence that both shows came out very similar at the same time. So that can happen. How often do you think that's actually the case, though? 
probably more often than you think, because when you consider how many times uh, a, s- a studio will get uh, wind of a trend, okay, uh, wow, uh, this is going to be the next big thing. And so you've got three different studios that all end up working on a volcano movie or an earthquake movie or something. And it's not that they're ripping one or the other off, it's just that they all got an inclination that this might be the next big thing. So each one of them is trying to uh, get the first one out. And a lot of times they don't, you know, with, with movie code names and whatnot, other studios don't know what the other studio is working on. So they're like, we're working on our uh, Haunted House movie and nobody else is doing it. Meanwhile, there are three other studios that are working on Haunted House movies, but they're under code names that uh, make you think that they're not that kind of movie. So it always comes out as more suspicious though when something like Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5 especially when you look at the first seasons of each just how similar those two things are but then you realize with production times there's no way either of them would have been able to rip the other one off Mm -hmm. it was just coincidence well that's another thing that a lot of people don't realize and it always cracks me up when a movie will come out and then, like, or a TV show or something. Well, let's go with TV since you're doing that. A TV show will come out, and then another TV show will come out very similar. And they might have similar aspects, or the pilot episode may be similar or something. And people are like, oh, God, they just ripped it off. And, and like, within the span of a week, they were able to take that idea and make this million-dollar TV show out of it. You know? Like, they just... That's not how, that's not how fast Hollywood that's works, That's not people. how fast Hollywood works. These things are slow-moving machines, and that's why a lot of times things do come out, and they're already kind of past the expiration. And uh, nobody, you know, uh, nobody except for me was excited about a Vanilla Ice movie. I went to see that's that true. at the theaters. Oh wow! Oh yeah, really? You were oh, lucky yeah. Duck. I did notice it was kind of weird, like looking at what shows were coming out this season. I want to say like every single network, including the WB and the CW, all have time travel shows coming out this year, and that will that will play out differently because you know some will start their seasons in September, some October, some probably not even till January. So we are about to run into a glut of time travel shows, but at the same time, I see probably oh, I predict. Four out of five of them being canceled within the first couple months or weeks. So it will feel very confusing at first, and then eventually one of them might survive. Do you see, like, the Babylon 5 Deep Space Nine thing, how on the surface it looks like Star Trek stole from Straczynski to the point where he even was claiming it for years, and it turned out it was just coincidence after coincidence? Oh, yeah. I'm sure that that happens probably more often than we even know, and I'm trying to think of another instance of that, but I know that people have come up with the same idea at relatively the same time. And then, you know, also to Cecil's point, there is that whole idea of, like, cashing in on the trend. Even when it comes to something like that, there was a void when it came to, you know, a a good sci-fi show at that particular time. So I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of things that are similar when it comes to let's fill that void. And, oh, well, you know, we've had uh, the ship moving all the time. Why don't we put one in a, a singular place? And, okay, you know, multiple people can come up with that at the same time. And then right around that same time, Space Precinct came out as well in first-run syndication, which was about a space station. Exactly. And so the early 90s were the space station time for syndication. But then we've got the granddaddy of all plagiarism lawsuits, and that would be Nosferatu. Nosferatu, we go all the way back to the silent era where they were like, rights? 
We don't need rights. We're just going to make Dracula, but now he's Count Orlock, goddammit. So I think this is not a new trend. Let's go back to the Italians for a sec. Robo War is Predator with Reb Brown. I mean, it plays out the same. It's structurally the same. It has a lot of the same lines to the point where I can't believe Fox, knowing how litigious they are, didn't sue Bruno Mattai over Robo War. Yeah, you know, I can't say I, I can't speak to Robo War because I haven't seen that. It sounds like a, a masterwork, though. Okay, re- remember the scene where Arnold throws the knife into the guy and says, stick it around? Right. Reb Brown, with his amazing delivery, throws the knife into the guy and says, don't go nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I don't have time for loss of fluid from my body. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, the, the Nosferatu thing that never really surprised me, because when I finally saw Nosferatu the first time, I was just like, wow, this is Dracula. How'd they get away with doing this? Well, they didn't. So I can totally understand why they got sued for that. I mean, there are a lot of differences, but... But come on, he's Count Orlock, Mike. Yeah, but more than anything, I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is the same thing. That also made, reminded me of a movie called Flesh Wounds from 2011, as a movie that I am amazed did not get sued for being a complete ripoff of Predator. It is... So much a ripoff. I mean, the, like, there are times when you watch a movie and they'll, they'll borrow things here and there or do something. This has the entire structure of Predator. The only difference is that it's not an alien. It is, uh, a robot. That's what Robo War is. It's a robot, not an alien. Right. And it's, it's a robot that can turn invisible and has green blood and, like, 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 and ha- and they have to send a team of, um, like, the top military squad into the jungle to stop it. And there's a chain gun. I mean, there's so many. Like, this is a movie where, like, when I see, when, when, when there was the Luc Besson case, like, I'm like, no, 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 no. Flesh wounds, yes. They completely wholesale ripped off Predator and for some reason got away with it. I guess because it cost about $5 to make and Fox figures it's not worth it to go after it. Well, but then you have something like clear inspiration versus plagiarism. Like, have either of you guys seen the shot on video film A Real Job? No. No. It's clerks set in a video store. Now, the character dynamics are all the same. The structure is all the same. Even the title cards that come up in clerks, they have the title cards. It is clerks. But in the third act, the story goes into such a different direction, and it doesn't copy anything directly from Kevin Smith. Is something like that still plagiarism when they don't copy directly but it's clearly such an influence that the structure the character dynamics the way it plays out even the editing is the same but nothing in the story is the same is that still plagiarism oh that that's a tough one i mean that seems more of a an homage than plagiarism to me i I looked at that the entire time i was watching a real job i went they really liked clerks Well, yeah, there were, gosh, there was uh, a time there where after Reservoir Dogs, there were so many movies of, you know, white guys in skinny ties shooting guns. And it was just like, okay, just so 
many. And it wasn't even the ones that, you know, you think of, oh, well, things to do in Denver when you're dead or some of these things. I mean, there were just a ton that never surfaced above even the film festival level. It was just so many people trying to do that and so many people trying to do the clever dialogue and everything. So yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there's always going to be those where it's just like the film student who thinks, oh, I really like that. I want to do exactly that same thing, but I'll do it with my own spin. Or yeah, this is going along with what Mike said with the, uh, you know, after the crime movies were all coming out and everybody was trying to get their quirky crime uh, movie out. Uh, there was one that uh, I'm kind of surprised it never really made it past the the Sundance circuit, but uh, Palookaville. I mean, the name right there tells you the kind of movie that they're making. But uh, yeah, Palookaville was a, uh, a a crime movie that was very quirky and uh, very fast talking and uh was trying to ride on the coattails of the wave of things to do in Denver New Dead, Pulp Fiction, and all those movies where uh they were that time kind of thing. And it was different enough, but it uh it didn't really catch on and it's really hard to find. As far as that and then stuff's like the the clerks thing, I think that uh that's just you know, being an homage, that's just taking a, uh, an idea and, uh, you know, putting a, a different spin on it. And that's, I think that's fine. I don't think that that's really a bad thing. I think that it's different enough. You know, I mean, if the story is different and just kind of the theme is similar, then I think that that's fine. Well, what about like with all the, the trend of throwback movies that we've had for, you know, a decade now? partially due to Tarantino. We have all these movies that are ma they're making grindhouse-style movies or movies that are like, you know, 70s crime thrillers and all this stuff again. At what point does homage stop? Like, I recently saw Man with the Iron Fists, and I'm like, this is very much a throwback movie, but there are so many scenes that are almost shot for shot from so many Chopsaki films I can't decide if it's plagiaristic or not. And then with Tarantino being a producer on it and Eli Roth being a co-writer, I'm going, I don't know, I almost have to lean more towards plagiaristic. H how far can homage go before it stops being homage? Like Kill Bill. Kill Bill, the, the last, what, 20 minutes? Our Lady Snowblood. It's just got different actors in it. At what point does homage stop? When people don't know the difference between the original and the new stuff. And then it's a ripoff if you actually do recognize it. I don't know. It's it's tough. Uh, I, I guess it's kind of a a time frame, like how how much of it is taken and how much of it uh, impacts the the movie that you're watching. So I I don't know. When you have somebody like Tarantino who uh, does do a lot of uh, wholesale taking, but his stuff is so strong in other departments. Tarantino is such a fantastic director. I just wish he'd make something original just once. I want him to make it a mo one movie that has no homages or references to other films. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's what I want to see. I don't see know from if Tarantino. that's how his brain works. Like I was, I was listening to, to um, I, I think was it Joe Rogan. I think it was Joe Rogan was talking about Tarantino about how do you know how many people like Tarantino? Like Tarantino was working at the video store, and it's just that he got the break and ended up making a movie. But like. He's looked at as being brilliant. How many people are just like that, but are still the weird guy that works at the movie uh, studio, you know, at the um, the rental store? You're you're sitting next to one. His name is Mike. Right. <laughs> Why isn't plagiarism in Hollywood more frowned upon? Why is it so pervasive that it's seen as like from the Terry Keegan Brillo Future Cop case? 
as kind of the way business is done. You know, I mean, again, to go to Harlan Ellison back when he used to work for Irwin Allen, Irwin Allen threw uh, the more recent copy of Amazing Stories after at him and said, find which one of these you want to adapt. Ellison asked him, how are you going to get the rights? And he said, Irwin Allen verbally laughed at him and said, asshole, we just change enough to not get sued. Shouldn't this be something that's frowned upon, not exalted as the way business is done? Yes. Uh, Hollywood is very... Uh, incestuous. Incestuous. Thank you. Hollywood is very incestuous, and that is where a lot of this stems from. It's a lot easier to just take something that somebody else has done and change around the names and call it your own. So, I mean, you know, it's the path of least resistance. So are you saying that the, that Hollywood is more lazy than it is willingly evil? I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of young screenwriters, a lot of seasoned screenwriters that selling their stuff or trying to get their stuff sold. But if it's not a known quantity, a lot of times it's very difficult for them to do that. If there's something out there that already exists that is a known quantity, then let's just go ahead and use that. We know that it works. Is there a way to get like a six degrees of separation from plagiarism? For instance, did you guys ever see the, it was a, it was a pilot, but it aired one time in 1991, Adrian Paul's The Owl? Wow. No. It was based on a 1984 novel called The Owl. It was a cranky Vietnam veteran whose wife and daughter were killed in Central Park, who, the twist here is he has a rare disease where he can't sleep, who is avenging everyone on the street. And I'm going, this is Frank Castle as the Punisher. Is it technically not plagiarism because they're adapting it from a novel, which most likely plagiarized Frank Castle? Is there a, a degree of separation sometimes in plagiarism? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I've I've run across that before where you have a movie that is based on an, an original screenplay and you have a movie that's based on a book and they both end up being very similar. I think, again, it's just one of those things where you have multiple people that are having the same kind of ideas. So I, I wouldn't necessarily see that as a ripoff unless you could kind of prove that the screenwriter had read that book and was basically you know unofficially adapting it. A lot of times there's just so many plots and so many scenarios that a lot of times are going to overlap. When did the, the book come out? 1984. Oh, so the- Punisher was created in 1975. Well, I, yeah, so he, by then he'd already had his own series. Right. I think that, uh, it, you know, similar but different. It's, it's the Punisher. It's Adrian Paul playing the Punisher. He's just not called Frank Castle. And he's not the guy from Death Wish. No, no, he, he he's, he's not. Okay. Cause I, but I mean, he's not Paul Kersey. Punisher owing a lot of of itself to Death Wish. Oh, I can I can absolutely see that myself. Yeah, but I think that it's also possible that the movie that they ended up making is based on the book, but then the book could be completely different. Does that not then come down to maybe sometimes Hollywood is so filled with cliches they accidentally become plagiarism? Can you accidentally plagiarize something? I think so. Oh, yeah. I don't think this show has been plagiarized, but you know who writes about plagiarism? Because, like I said, Mike White has outed both Tarantino and, ironically enough, Tarantino's girlfriend as Leanne Spider-Baby, so you're the go-to when it comes to outing plagiarists, Mike. Where can people find you do that? Well, I just have an axe to grind, and, and mostly I'm just jealous. Well, yeah, that's what Tarantino said yeah, about you. So, and, uh, yeah, he, uh, he's... Of course, he didn't, he didn't dispute any of your findings, no. he just said you have an axe to grind. Right, yeah. So, but he is a fan of the show, which is over at projectionboothpodcast.com. So, big fan of the tracks episode. Mike had the balls to try and friend him on Facebook. That was I remember fun. that. Didn't he block you? I think he might have. 
<laughs> well, Cecil, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me over at uh, escapismagazine.com, goodbadflicks.com, and uh, Twitter and Facebook. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a little bit more original. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. See, I stole I that from Ricky say, Rackman. As you steal a line from Ricky Rackman, of all people. And I admitted it. Credit. Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.